Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for your giving. I want to welcome you once again. Glad you're here. Um, I believe it's going to be a great day in God's Word as we do part two of Sugar Daddy. Everybody say Sugar Daddy without smiling. Yeah, you couldn't do it. I'm excited about this message today. Um, As I stated last week, when you hear the phrase Sugar Daddy, your mind will probably go to uh, the caramel lollipop. How many uh, people enjoy one of those every now and then? Anybody like a sugar daddy? Um, no one? Few people? Uh, yeah, I got a few hands like those. Um, some of you, you, you got uh, a deeper definition when you hear sugar daddy. You don't think about the caramel lollipop thing. You, you think about the older generation providing for the younger generation. Uh, in what is known as a sugar daddy. And I I don't have to go any further. I think you guys kind of catch what what I mean by that. And the reason I'm calling uh, this series Sugar Daddy is because I've learned over the years that some relationships, um, they, they want your stuff, they just don't want you. They want what you have, but they don't want you. It's a sugar daddy type of relationship. And as long as you keep giving them exactly what they want, when they want it, and how they want it, the relationship is good. But the moment you say no, then you've got a problem. And unfortunately, um, many of us, we treat God the same way. We treat God the same way. We, we treat that relationship as if he is our sugar daddy. He bears all the responsibility and we bear very little. Uh, We have all these things we want God to do, to fix, and provide for, but we don't want to bring anything to the table. And I I think sometimes we have all these different expectations of God, but very little expectations on ourselves. We bring nothing to the table. And last week, we talked about fighting drift, not drifting in your relationship with God, and specifically not drifting in the area of financial stewardship, of tithe and offerings, and doing finances God's way. The writer of Hebrews 2.1 says, We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. We don't want to drift away. And so many people, the reason we put the status up, the relationship status, is because, and we check the top box of being fully committed. Because at the end of the day, I want every single person under the sound of my voice, every single person watching online, I want you in your life to be able to check the box of your relationship status with God that you are fully committed. Not that you just said a prayer, which unfortunately the American church, a lot of people say a prayer. They they. They don't want to go to hell, so I say a prayer. And we think because we said a prayer, um, we can go about our life, live the way we want to, and everything will be okay. But God wants us to do more than say a prayer. 
He wants us to do more than that bottom box of just looking for a sugar daddy, somebody to bail me out when I'm in trouble, someone to make sure that he lets me into heaven so I don't burn in hell, but we don't want any responsibility. We don't want to bear any responsibility. And when we come to the idea of stewardship, and ownership, that's a, that's a big word, owning. Do you own your car? Do you own your house? Do you own? And ownership is important because it's really not the question. God owns everything. That means the stuff you think is yours is actually God's. doesn't matter if it's the metal to build your car or the wood to build your house. It all came from God's creation. The, the paper money in your pocket came from one of God's trees. We, we know a diamond ring, as beautiful as it may be, and you thank God that you have that diamond ring. Uh, even that came at, from, from God's coal and was formed under the pressure of God's earth. And so God owns it all, but in his wisdom, he loans it to us to see if we will give him control. And money, when it comes to money, it is a test because money, money is the greatest competitor to our heart. It's why Jesus said you can't serve God and money. He, he could have used anything, God and sex and God and, and self, God and whatever. But he said you can't serve God and money. And, and the truth is we know the, the, the American dream many times is, is spend your life chasing after this God called money. And God says, you can't serve me and that. And I'm going to just go ahead and say it now, that money is just a tool. It's just a tool. It's important. It's spiritual. How we handle it is important. It reflects many things about our heart and our relationship with God, but it's just a tool. And so we learned last week that Tithing, when we tithe, which is bringing the first 10% of our income. When we bring that, a couple of things. One, when we bring the first 10%, it's as if we brought all of it. In God's eyes, it's like you brought the whole thing. Because it sanctifies everything. It makes everything you have holy. And so God doesn't say pay it or give it. He says bring it. And when you bring it, I bless the rest. And so tithing releases God's blessing. It not only releases God's blessing, but it deepens my relationship with God. There's parts of God I will never know, parts of God I will never understand, unless I understand how to handle what he has put in my hands. I also, through the tithe, get to become part of something greater. Today I'm going to talk to you about something, I'm not sure I've ever done a whole sermon on this subject, but I want to talk to you about finding financial favor. Finding financial favor. Many years ago when I was, a, not just many years ago, it was just a couple years ago when I was 29, um, and I became pastor of Bethesda Temple of Praise is what we were called, Bethesda Temple of Praise, um, and some of y'all remember that name, and for a long time I was like, what am I going to do with the temple part? Because for a lot of people, they're like, I'm not going to temple. Um, y'all can smile. And so we just, you know, called it Bethesda Church. But a 29-year-old pastor, um, 
one of the things that I ran into, and it, this is for all pastors, usually their first church, whether you're planting it or that you're given your first opportunity, a lot of times what, what you walk into is, is somewhere that um, has a little bit of financial strain. That's pretty normal. Uh, it's just one of the things that you face oftentimes when you step into a pastorate. And I remember being 29 and stepped in as a pastor, and, and we had this concert scheduled that was, that was scheduled before I became the pastor. So, you know, my first act as pastor could not be cancel the concert that you didn't schedule. How I many know that would have went over real well? The first act I'm going to do is cancel, cancel y'all's concert. Well, anyway, the concert was with Jason Crabb. Anybody know who Jason Crabb is? Um, and so that's who the concert was, and Jason has been back since then, thank God, um, you know, because we had to make something right the night he was here because we were living as a church at that time. Every single Sunday, we would have to count the offering and literally decide what bills we would pay. I mean, it was that tight. Um, and unfortunately, Jason Crabb shows up to do his concert, and I didn't have, um, I don't know what the word would be to tell him on the front end that we're broke. Um, we don't have money. We don't have funds. I don't, I don't know how we're going to do that. He came, he sang, and then I got the pleasure, everybody say the pleasure, of having a conversation with Jason Crabb. Um, hey, you did a great job, but we can't pay you. And his whole livelihood is based on traveling and singing. Um, and so what I did, I said, we can pay you this amount tonight. And next week, when the offering comes in, we'll give you the rent. Now, he was so gracious and said, that's fine, pastor, no problem at all. So we gave him a little bit that night, and then we paid him the next week. Thank God we got him paid. But I say that because that's how it started. But... I want you to know this is how it's going. Now, I, I want to I connect some dots because the blessing that our church stepped into was partly because of what I'm going to teach you today. There is a blessing that God wants to put on your life. And the blessing is for relationships, the blessing is for health. The blessing is also for financial favor. But I want you to know that the blessing doesn't work when we treat God like a sugar daddy. The blessing will not work. And so how many of you want a double portion blessing on your life? Anybody want that? I, it's a biblical concept. I know some of y'all are like, I can't believe I came this Sunday. He's talking about this. But listen to me. There's a connection here, and we're going to go to the Word, Deuteronomy 21, starting in verse 15. Suppose a man has two wives. What am I to do with that? I mean, it's in the Bible. Suppose a man has two wives. Let's go a little deeper. But he loves one and not the other. Uh-oh. It's a soap opera. And both of the wives, both, of, both have given him sons. And suppose the firstborn son is the son of the wife he does not love. This is not a good story, is it? When the man divides his inheritance, he may not give the larger inheritance to his younger son. 
the son of the wife he loves as if he were the firstborn. He must recognize the rights of his oldest son, the son of the wife he does not love, by giving him a double portion. He is the first son of his father's virility, and the rights of the firstborn belong to him. How many of you are firstborn in your family? How many firstborns do I have? I was a firstborn. We are the chosen. We are. Do you feel me? We are. I'm kidding. Come on, hit your neighbor and say he's joking. All right. I'm joking. Um, but let me connect this dot for you. Um, the firstborn was not given a double portion. We read that oftentimes, and we think the firstborn is favored. That's why he gets it. He's just born first. He's favored. That's why. But it was not given to him because of preference. It was given to him for a practical reason. There was a practical reason attached to why the firstborn got double, okay, practically. Um, during that time period, the mortality rate was, was not very high, or, or how long people lived was not very high. And so a lot of times, the, the man of the house would die or pass away before his children were adults. It would happen while the kids were still growing up. And it was something that happened consistently. And so in the father's absence, it was the firstborn's responsibility to help care for the family. So, so this blessing that came on the firstborn, though we, we want to get up and say, I'm getting the double, I'm the firstborn, and I'm the favored one, that kind of thing. But the blessing was attached not to just the fact I was born first. The blessing was attached to you will be responsible to care for everyone else. Okay, so the blessing is connected to responsibility. That's why in church you can have two people, they both love Jesus, but one of them is stepping up to the plate as it relates to responsibility, and they're getting blessed, and the other person is not taking responsibility, though they love Jesus, and they're not seeing the blessing. And so we got to walk this out for a few minutes this morning because this double portion is connected to our responsibility. That practical reality is also the revelation of a powerful, what I would call spiritual principle. And that is this, Jesus came as a firstborn. Jesus came as a firstborn. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And because he was the firstborn or is the firstborn, he took responsibility for you and I. We could not provide salvation. We could not provide an abundant life or eternal life. We were helpless, but our big brother Jesus, on behalf of our loving Heavenly Father, stepped up to the plate and he paid for our sin and secured our eternity. Anybody thankful for your big brother Jesus who took responsibility as a firstborn? And in that, in that, he was given a name that is above every other name. There was a blessing on his ability and attached to his ability to be responsible. And not only was Jesus a firstborn, in Jesus, and this is the good news, whether you were actually a firstborn in your family or not, if you're in Christ, we are 
a firstborn. We are, okay, not we're going to be, we are a firstborn. Hebrews 12, 23 says that we are the church of the firstborn, meaning that because you are in Christ and now you are a firstborn, you are now entitled, I don't like using that word a lot, but with this, it's the only appropriate word. As a firstborn spiritually in the kingdom, you are entitled to a double portion blessing on all you do. Everything you do, you are entitled. Why? Because you are a firstborn. The question is, if we're the firstborn, why don't we live with a double portion? And here's the answer. Because it is not automatic it has to be activated. So you may ask, well, how do I activate it? I'm glad because that's what we're going to give you over the next few minutes, how to activate what you're entitled to. In Matthew chapter 14, it's a great New Testament passage that will show you what this looks like. In Matthew 14, Jesus steps ashore and he sees a crowd of people. And the crowd of people, it's a big crowd. It's 15,000 people. And the Bible says he has compassion on them, and he begins teaching, and eventually the disciples come and they say to Jesus, um, we need to end the service, and we need to let everybody go eat. Sounds like church, right? It's kind of like what some of y'all feel like in the 11 a.m. service. PC, shut up. It's time to eat. I get it. Like, it's, it's biblical, you know? And Jesus didn't even get mad and say, bless God, I'm teaching. You know, look, look at the scripture with me. Matthew 14 and 16, but Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. Okay, we got 12 guys who's saying it's time to quit the, the, the church service. This is done. People are hungry. We got 15,000 people out here. They need to eat. Let's end the service and send them away. And Jesus says, it's not necessary. Feed them. Now, how many know it? that was unreasonable, that 12 men could feed 15,000 people? Um, and it gets a little, little better because it says in the next verse, it says, but we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. So we got 12 guys responsible for feeding 15,000 people, and all they have is five loaves of bread and two fish. And I'm going to be real honest with you, depending on how hungry uh, you are, five loaves of bread and two fish wouldn't feed one row of people here. Um, but he is taking this moment to teach them something, to teach them something. Let's keep reading. It says, bring them here, talking about the five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. And Jesus took the five loaves and two fish he looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover. There's something about when you participate in the miracle God's doing, he's always going to bless you on the other side of it. Anybody thankful that God always blesses us when we're a part of the miracle? I love this story. Jesus did this miracle to make a point that as followers of Christ, we are firstborn, but we'll never see the blessing 
until we take responsibility for those around us. And some of you are wondering, why do I struggle to make ends meet? Why am I always under pressure? Where is God's blessing in my life? The problem is, is that you have the birthright, but you haven't taken responsibility. And unfortunately, I talk to a lot of people who do love Jesus, but they don't see beyond themselves. They don't see beyond what they want or what they desire. But the blessing that we're talking about, the financial favor we're talking about, it happens for people that have the ability to take responsibility for those around them. They have a birthright, and they operate in that birthright. God has called you and I to be a conduit of his blessing. Listen, if you don't have a mindset that says, I'm going to be blessed, but I want to be blessed so I can be a blessing, uh, you'll never be prepared for a blessing. Because God's blessing is never meant just so you can pay your bills. God's blessing is so that you can impact everyone around you. But as long as you live with the blessing being, I want to pay this month's rent. And it's okay to start there and see God as your provider. But this word I'm talking about today, it really is for the spiritually mature that will take responsibility and see this this firstborn blessing operating in your life. And it will impact every part of your life because the truth is God did not intend for government to take care of the poor. God wants us, the people of God, to take care of the poor. He wants us to clothe people. He wants us to feed people. He wants us to bless people. The spirit of the firstborn must rise in you before the blessing falls on you. So how do I activate it? I'm going to give you four things. Number one, you got to break off wrong beliefs. You got to break off wrong beliefs. Before there was a miracle, the Bible says Jesus took the two fish, five loaves, in his hands, and he broke them. He broke them. You will never experience blessing until you let God break off wrong beliefs. There's always a breaking before the blessing. God always has to break some things off before he releases his blessing onto your life. And a lot of times when it comes to money or meeting needs, we sit around saying someone else should do this and that person should do that. And and, and, and it doesn't start, this doesn't start with others, it starts with you. And and you say, well, I don't have a whole lot. Well, little is much when God is in it. You you just got to trust him. And, and I think the breaking off of wrong beliefs many times begins with breaking off a spirit of fear, a spirit of fear. It's a common problem for pastors to talk about money. There's fear attached to it. Thankfully, years ago, I, I was afraid when I first started talking about money to people. Like, it's a little bit intimidating. Um, but over the years, I have broken off that, that fear. And there's also a fear many times from people. When you teach on the subject, people get a little nervous, a little antsy. Like, the whole subject makes people uncomfortable. And fear attacks us with how we will be perceived and how people might respond. And I believe that fear is the one emotion that is most associated with money. That when people talk about money, paying the rent, paying the bills, getting the kids to school, getting the kids to college, when they talk about money, there is oftentimes 
fear there, but listen to me. How you handle money every single time is a spiritual statement because every time you give, you're saying, I trust God. And every time you refuse to give, you're saying, I trust the enemy. It's quiet in here. One amen in the house, maybe. I don't think it's an accident, as I said earlier, that we were able to pay off that one loan, but I believe that it was directly connected to our willingness to help churches launch and to help other churches revitalize. I, I, I believe that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive and that we need to operate in that. Some stats that, that I, I think I gave you these last, last week, but I want to reiterate those. Um, a lot of us, when it comes to money, we make fear-based decisions. But here, here's what I want to say here. God doesn't bless fear-based decisions. Fear is not from God. So God's not blessing. And, and when we let fear dictate what we do, we, here's what happens with fear. When we allow fear to dictate what we do, we do nothing. Fear paralyzes. Fear keeps you from giving. Fear keeps you from serving. Fear keeps you from preaching. Fear keeps you from, from doing everything the Bible tells you to do. It will paralyze you and you will be stuck. And a lot of people are stuck because the emotion that's attached to money is fear. But here, here's a stat. 55% of U.S. households live paycheck to paycheck. More than half the people in the, in the United States live paycheck to paycheck, which means if they lose their job tomorrow... They're going to have trouble now with rent, mortgage, groceries, immediately. There, there's, there's no way to do it. 55% uh, of the people. One study notes that 76% of Americans say they, uh, they have financial stress, that it's a real stressor at some level. They're, they're stressing about money in some kind of capacity. Um, but on the other hand, a recent project studied the financial lives of tithers. And tithers, it revealed 80% of them have no unpaid credit card bills, 74% don't owe anything on their cars, and 48% own their home outright. How many know there's a blessing attached to the tithe? The most loving thing I can do is boldly lead God's people into God's plan for their lives and even their finances. Fear will say you're alone, and unprotected faith says you have a father. You're not an orphan who has to do everything on your own. Some of us, we think we got to do it all. Get another job, do this, work more hours, do this, do that. And, and we, we live like we're orphans. But if we'll just do it God's way, there is a blessing and there's rest attached to it. But you got to break off the wrong beliefs. Secondly, we have to steward what is placed in our hands we got to steward what's placed in our hands. Jesus broke the loaves and then placed it back into the disciples' hands, and it was then it was theirs to steward. So he's taking it, he's breaking it, and then he says, here, steward it. There's 15,000 people, handle it. He was letting them steward in this miracle. Um, I'm going to make a statement. It's going to make a few people mad, but I don't care. Um, Y'all don't even care, do you? Like, you can't make me mad. I'm just here for the coffee. No, I'm, I'm kidding. God doesn't bless people on equal degrees. 
And this is the part that we, we struggle with because we like, we all put on our clothes the same way. You know, how many ever heard that? Put on my pants the same way as you do, preacher. I, obviously. I don't know. Maybe you hang upside down in the closet. I, I, I just put them on, you know. I get what you're saying, but it's crazy that you got two people and they both love Jesus and one of them takes the finances serious and they bring the tithe and they give offerings and they live in generosity and they have peace in their money and peace with decisions and they got a savings account and they got a retirement plan and they got peace in their life when it comes to money and the same person on the same row next person loves Jesus just as much but they live from week to week they charge everything they're like, I don't know where all my money goes. And it's like, well, you spent 3200 this month on eating out in Starbucks. That, it's in that cup you're holding. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Um, God actually looks, and this is, this is just scriptural, he actually looks for the people who handle it best, and he gives them more. Even the, the passage of the, the parable of the talents, we always focus on the one guy who took his talent and buried it. Yeah, the one guy, he went and buried it. But what we miss in the story is that Jesus teaches a principle, take from the one who did nothing, take it from him, and give it to the one who was multiplying his, to the one that was properly stewarding that which I've entrusted to him. I'll take from the person who's doing nothing, and I'll give more. And you'll meet people sometimes. It's like, how are you so blessed? You know, you've got this and that, and everything's easy. It just looks like God opened up heaven. I promise you, if you get to know that person, many times what you'll find out is they, they steward really well. And God blesses them because they take responsibility, which activates a double portion. It activates financial favor. Um, stewardship does not mean... Uh, to be cheap, and it doesn't mean to keep everything. It means that I'm going to operate my finances not with my values, but with his values. And some of God's values are, one, God wants us to be efficient with what we have. A budget, listen to me, a budget is not a mandate to stay in bounds. The reason people don't want to do a budget is because it, they feel restricted. That, I, I, I can't do that. I want to live outside that box. And, and they only see it as controlling what they can do. But you got to look at a budget not as a mandate to stay in bounds. A budget is actually mapping where you want to go. It, it's not even about what this month is. It's like when you budget, you, you may be budgeting for at the beginning of the year for Christmas, and you start budgeting. It, that budget is not meant just to make you stay in bounds in January and February and March. That budget is mapping that at Christmas time, the kids are going to wake up, and they're going to expect something under the tree. Does that make sense? So it's not about restrictions. It's about mapping where you want to go with your money. And efficiency is important. Also, integrity. When it comes to stewardship, you've got to have integrity. And a lot of people don't have the right kind of people around them when it comes to money. Listen, if all you hang out with, please don't take this the wrong way, if all you hang out with are broke people, 
you'll be broke. You need some friends that know how to make money or invest money. You need to get around some people that can speak and give you insight and counsel. Listen, if you're broke and you're struggling to pay the rent, please don't call your cousin who's struggling to pay the rent. Y'all, y'all just want me to preach Jesus again right now, don't you? Just get back to just Jesus and him crucified, that one part of the gospel. I get what you're saying. But listen, this is important. It'll, it'll help your life. Uh, as a church, we have a board of directors that just looks at the finances and helps us make decisions on paying something off or not, or should we invest here or not, or should we do this campaign or not. There's people that speak to that stuff, and there's no way we could have built a building like this without a board of directors giving insight on what we could do or not do. And listen, the people in your life, um, whether it's a business you got or it's just helping you budget, um, they need to be not, not popular. Sometimes we want popular people to help us. Quit looking for popular. Start looking for capable. Find somebody capable that can help you do what it is you want to do when it comes to your finances. Um, you guys getting anything out of this so far? Y'all. Yeah. Let me say this. To increase your income, you have to increase your stewardship. In other words, you've got to, have, you've got to be responsible. Number, we've got to break off wrong beliefs. We must steward what has been placed in our hands. Number three, we have to recalibrate our perspective. One of the issues Jesus had to change is how the disciples saw themselves and how they saw others. Jesus walked on the shore that day, and he was moved with compassion. The disciples walked upon the same shore that day, and all they saw was a problem. Jesus saw a need. They saw a problem. And the difference between Jesus and the disciples is that the disciples could not see beyond themselves. So they only saw this is one big problem. Jesus saw this is one big opportunity. There's a need around me. I can do something about this. He walked up, Jesus walked up to the multitude, and he was saying, I'm here for you. The disciples are walking up to the multitude, and they're saying, you guys are here for me. It's totally upside down. There's a scripture in 1 Peter chapter number 5, starting in verse uh, 1. It says, fellow elders, this is my plea to you. Feed the flock of God, care for it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve the Lord. Now, this, this scripture is one that, um, when I was being trained to be a pastor, it's one of the ones that we had to know and understand, that we don't pastor people for what we can get out of it. We pastor people because we're eager to serve. And I just want to say this right here. You, when you serve here at Bethesda Church, don't serve just to see what you can get out of it. When you give, don't give just to see what you can get out of it. But let's live our lives in a way that when we give, when we serve, when we give our time, our money, our talent, our energy, that we're not doing it so that we can find out what we can get. Let's do it to see what we can do, what we can accomplish, that we're eager to serve God. How many know we need to be willing to serve and not be focused on what we get out of it. It's, it's important. Um, and, and what Peter's talking about here, he said, watch out for greed. That, that's what he's telling. Watch out for greed. Be careful that you don't just think about what you get out of it. 
And our tendency sometimes, every situation, some people in church, they approach every situation with the idea and a, and a motive of what they can get out of it. And if it's always about what you can get out of it, you're not mature enough to handle the blessing. God watches how we handle it. He watches how we steward it. And listen, I, you may not like it, but he will take from the one who doesn't have in the kingdom, and he will give it to the one that is managing well. Okay? Some of us will struggle to find financial favor, live the blessed life, because we're working hard to see how we can gain, not how we can be or become a blessing. The disciples' problem was that they didn't see themselves as a tool for ministry, and they did not see the poor as God's priority. Let me go ahead and just break this myth. I grew up, and I had a lot of teaching that says, you know, God wants you poor, but I, I struggle with that because in the same New Testament, if I'm supposed to be poor, how in the world do I feed the poor? How do I help? You know, Jesus, one of the declarations he made upon his ministry starting is, he, I came to set the captive free, but right tucked in all of this big anointing, driving demons out, healing the doing all this stuff, right in the middle is taking care of the poor. How in the world are we going to take care of the poor if we all poor? Anybody want the blessing? If you do, give him a praise if you want the blessing. I would rather be on the giving end than the receiving end. I want to be a part of making it happen for someone else, but i got to be responsible. There are 2,000 verses in Scripture that speak directly to the poor. One of the first instructions God gave Moses was to organize the nation in a way that they would not overlook the poor. That they would not overlook the poor. We're commanded to give to the poor. Blessing is tied to helping the poor. And listen, you can't know God's heart and you can't truly know God without knowing his heart for the poor. But a lot of times there is disconnect there. When it comes to loving people, when, when, please don't be the person that every time someone's in a need, and I've done this before, and you can judge me. You can say, Pastor, you're terrible. But how many of you have ever seen someone in need and you began to, to immediately think about, well, the reason they're in need is because they won't go to work and... They won't do this, and they won't do that. Y'all ever done that? Just me. Man, y'all are a tough crowd, 11. Y'all a tough crowd. Um, I love you, but you're tough today. Um, God doesn't need our approval. He just needs our availability. He just needs us to be available, to see it and meet the need. And until we take responsibility for the needs of people that God loves, we won't see the multiplication he offers. As the worship team comes back, let me give you this fourth and final thing. The fourth thing. We have to first break off wrong beliefs. We have to steward what's in our hands. We've got to recalibrate our perspective. Number four, we have to give and expect God to do great things we got to give and expect God to do great things. The blessing does not occur when what is in your hand remains in your hand. 
The blessing occurs when what is in your hand is put in God's hands. The miracle begins the moment we say, God, all I have is yours. Some of us, we're looking around at our lives and the needs around us, and we're thinking, I don't have enough. Neither did they. They had five loaves and two fish. They did not have enough. It made no sense whatsoever. It doesn't make sense, but it does make faith. It does make faith. Whatever you have, you have. But when you put it in God's hands, he has an ability to multiply what's in your hands. Financial breakthrough is something God gives to his people. And I know we don't like talking about it the same way we do casting a devil out or healing the sick, but you got to understand that finances are important. How we manage them. What we do with what he has entrusted to us. I think a lot of times the reason we don't trust God in the area of finances is because we want him to be savior. We, we do. We don't, you know, people, I want him to be savior. We just don't want to make him Lord. And there, that's, a, that, that's a big gap between savior and Lord. When you come to Christ, that's savior. Like, that, that's awesome. We're, we're thankful he's savior. But the real power is not just savior. The real power is you're Lord of my life, which means all of me is yours. My marriage is yours. My kids are yours. The ministry is yours. My finances is yours. That's why the scripture says to follow Jesus, take up your cross, deny your what? Self. I'm going to say this. I said it in a conversation between services that the biggest hindrance a lot of times is not what the devil is doing in your life. The biggest hindrance is the same problem Satan had in heaven, and that was self. Self. We want to blame a lot of things on Satan. He's doing this and he's doing that, but it really boils down to self. I'm, I'm my own God. My desires, what I want, becomes the God. And when that's happening, you won't experience a double portion type of blessing in your life. That blessing is reserved for the mature, the ones who are willing to lay their lives down and make him Lord. And I'm going to say this in closing. You don't have a money problem. You have an identity problem. You are a firstborn, start acting like one, which means I'm going to be responsible. Woo, some of y'all are like, I'm glad that's over. Praise God. I feel like I've been in under the knife in surgery. But how many know sometimes you got to get cut on just a little bit to get healed, to get whole? I want you to stand to your feet all over the place and I want to encourage you this morning. I've enjoyed sharing the word today. We got part three next week, but next week, watch this. Everybody look. Next week, it's not on money. It's sugar daddy, but it's not on money, okay? You made it. Hit your neighbor and say, you made it. You made it, all right? We're only going to do two weeks on it. We're going to keep it in the series, but a different topic for next week. 
I do want to challenge you, those of you that have never tithed or never been a tither, we give, we tell all the people that are just starting that journey to give God 90 days and watch what God will do. It's the only place in Scripture where he says, test me. Test me in this area. You test me, I'll bless you. Listen, you try it for 90 days, it don't work for you. Our commitment is we'll write the check back to you. Because I, I believe God will honor his word. He will honor his word. I've never had anybody come and say, Pastor, I need that back. I, actually, one guy did, but he was joking. He had me, though. He really did. He had me. He's like, I need that money back. I tried it 90 days. It don't work. I was like, all right, Greg, where are you? He's like, I'm just kidding. And he began to share testimony. I heard a testimony this morning that blew my mind just from last week, what God instructed one person to do. A job happened, financial favor happened, and it looks like a big financial breakthrough is coming to their life. And they found all of that out after one step of obedience last Sunday. One step of obedience. It, it doesn't make sense, but it makes faith. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Continue to pray about the Christmas offering. But I want, I want to speak now to making Jesus Lord. To giving him your life. Laying your life down for the one that he has for you. Man, it's the hardest part of making him Lord. Listen to me. I've done this for a long time. The hardest part of making him Lord is that initial decision to die. A lot of times Christians keep struggling and they, they have cycles of dysfunction and problems and they can't make sense of things and it's because they haven't fully surrendered. They haven't fully died to themselves. Because when you die, you get a peace that don't make sense. When you die, you, you don't get offended. When you die, you don't have trouble giving finances because you, you really do live like it's all His. But there may be people in the room today that you're not in relationship with Jesus. You haven't made him the Lord of your life. I want you to bow your heads for just a minute and close your eyes. No one looking around for the next couple of moments except those that will be helping us with the material we want to put in your hands. But if you're in this place today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, you don't know him as Lord, you know that you're not right with God, but you need to be right. If you just want to make things right, maybe for the first time, or maybe it's something that you're recommitting today, I need to make it right again. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up right there where you are? If you feel the Holy Spirit, Dylan, I see this hand over here to my left. I see that. Anyone else? You say, that's me. Just leave that up till someone gets over to you. Leave it up until someone gets there. Anyone else? Let's say, that's, that's me, Pastor. I'm going to make some things right with God today. Anyone else? As we're getting that information over, I want every voice lifted together. We're going to pray together. Come on, say it out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a Savior. I can't save myself, so I ask you, Jesus, to save me, to forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give Jesus a hand clap? Man, he's so good.
We'll ask that our, uh, our prayer team go ahead and get in place. Almost said ushers. I've been talking about money for two services. Um, prayer team, that's who I want. Prayer team, go ahead and get in place. This altar's open today. Listen, the gospel, Jesus came. Listen to me. Jesus came. Don't check out just yet. He came to set us free from sin, sickness, poverty, and disease. He came to set us free from that. So anything that you might need, Jesus covered. And there's power in prayer. So I want to encourage you during this last worship song, anything that you might need prayer for, get out of your seat, come up, receive prayer. We would love to put our faith with yours. As the worship team gets ready to take it from here, can you give Jesus one more praise before they begin singing? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.